Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to get back into the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We're a smaller crowd this morning, probably because of the cold. Um, but we're going to tackle a big text here this morning. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11 um, in, in Matthew's Gospel. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a handful on the table back there. Feel free to grab one. Feel free to... Uh, to uh, take that with you if you don't have a copy of God's Word. If you need a new copy of God's Word, take that as well. Um, and, and that's our gift to you this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. Like I said, it's been a while since we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. Four weeks we spent spending time looking uh, at Advent and the coming of Christ and talking about that leading up to the Christmas season. Um, so maybe a bit of a refresher would be good for us. Maybe a bit of a refresher getting back into uh, the Sermon on the Mount would be helpful. Um, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples for one real specific reason. To show us what the kingdom of heaven looks like. What does the kingdom of heaven look like and what do citizens of the kingdom of heaven look like? The Sermon on the Mount isn't a to-do list. We see a lot of different things here that are given to us uh, throughout the course of the sermon, but it's not a to-do list, but they're markers of what it looks like to live faithfully once God has welcomed you into his family. And one of those markers is something that we're going to talk about this morning, and this text is intensely practical, I think. Uh, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 is all about prayer. And I think Timothy Keller, Timothy Keller says it beautifully um, when he says this about prayer. He says, Jesus says the infallible test of spiritual integrity is your private prayer life. Jesus says the infallible test of your, pri- or your spiritual integrity is your private prayer life. And our culture struggles with something like prayer because most of the time there aren't instant results. We're a culture that loves instant results. We like to see things happen. We like an immediate answer dropped into our laps as soon as possible. We want microwaves, but most of the time what happens is we get a crock pot. We're going to throw that roast in there for, for several hours. It doesn't take 30 seconds to heat up and get a result. And so God's timing is rarely, if ever, our timing. And that's why prayer becomes the infallible test of our spiritual integrity. How many of us give ourselves to things throughout the course of our day that don't bring about a consistent and easy response? Let's look at this text together. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Jesus says to his followers and to us through His spirit, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his sons ask for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? One of the problems for us, one of the problems when we view prayer is that we, again, want to get something out of it, but we oftentimes see it as an activity. Or what we said what Jesus isn't doing is giving us a list of to-do items, what we often treat it as a a to-do list. And it's something that is built into our DNA, rather. It needs to be considered as something that is built into our DNA because of our blood-bought identity, because we are new creations, because we are a, a group of people who are no longer marked by or defined by what we do. 
And so we allow culture to dictate to us what prayer is before the Word of God. But this can't be the case for us. This cannot be the case for us as a church. There are several observations that we need to take away from this text. And again, I think this is intensely practical. I think that this text is intensely... We read it and we think to ourselves, boy, what are you talking about? You're talking about bread and fish. You're talking about knocking and, and seeking and all of these different things. But I think it's intensely practical. Because Jesus gives us, first of all, he gives us a gracious invitation to pray. To come to God our Father and to pray. And there's strength here because he gives us three things. Practically, they're the same. He says, ask, seek, knock. And he says, go out and do it. This is not a suggestion, it's a loving command. He repeats himself three times. Ask, seek, knock, repeat, repeat, repeat. And so that we see that he is not, he's not giving us a soft commandment, he's giving us something with strength. Ask, and you will find or you will receive, seek, and you will find, and knock, and it will be opened to you. Your heavenly Father who has given you everything, who gave his Son for you, tells you to come to him. This is a gracious invitation to pray. He tells you to come to him, to ask, and to seek, and to knock. So there's a gracious invitation to pray right out of the gate. Second, though, is the amount of prayer Jesus tells his followers to engage in. And maybe a more helpful translation of this text would be something along the lines of to keep seeking or to keep knocking or to keep asking. The reality is that these commands for us are ongoing. They don't stop. You don't get to a place where you no longer are required as children of God to ask and to seek and to knock. He doesn't say ask when things are going poorly. He doesn't say seek when there are no other options. He doesn't say uh, knock only when all other doors are closed. There are no conditions here. When your life is in mess or in order, when you have time or no time, when you have energy or you're worn down, for the follower of Jesus, asking and seeking and knocking, it doesn't stop. When When I instruct my kids, I say don't jump off the bed. Right? I said, don't, that, that's an example. Don't jump off the bed. Um, my, what I mean, of course, what I mean is don't jump off the bed now or ever. Stop jumping off the bed. <laughs> Oftentimes the ongoing effect of that, although implied, isn't received. So five minutes later, they're jumping off the bed again. And we need to get our heads around this. There's an ongoing effect for us when it comes to prayer. And so so Jesus' words are the same here. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. There is not a time in the Christian life where we should not be asking, seeking, and knocking. Prayer is not a secondary activity in the life of the believer, but a mark of a kingdom citizen. Prayer is not a secondary activity in the life of the believer, but a mark of a kingdom citizen. Which is why when we saw that quote earlier that the, that the infallible test of spiritual integrity is your private prayer life, we need to keep asking, to keep seeking, and to keep knocking, and to do so in secret like Jesus says. If you go back up the page to the beginning of chapter 6, we must do so in private. This demonstrates our spiritual integrity or our uprightness before God. And no one else can prove this. No one else can come to you and say, yeah, the person has spiritual integrity because the prayer life begins in private. 
And there's no earthly reward for asking, seeking, and knocking. But like Jesus says in verse 6 of chapter 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You sit down on the couch at 5 a.m. before the kids are up or before you go to work, and you pray, you ask, you seek, you knock, you do it today, you do it tomorrow, you do it the next day, and every day. And as long as you live, you ask, you seek, and you knock, you will not get to a point in this life where you've asked enough, where you've sought enough, where you've knocked enough. So consider the amount of prayer that Jesus tells his followers to engage in. It's ongoing. It doesn't stop. And with that in mind, then thirdly, consider the necessity of the relationship with the Father. And this is where I want to camp out this morning. Because this has so much more impact than just this text. So much of what has come before for us in the Sermon on the Mount is centered around this idea that we have a relationship with our Father. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't prayed in a while, your response should not be to feel guilt, but to look at the way that Jesus packages this section in the Sermon on the Mount. He packages it as a privilege. Prayer coming to our Heavenly Father and speaking to Him is a privilege. Just like talking on the phone to your friend from back home, you don't talk to people that you don't have a relationship with. I don't call the customer service line for my dishwasher to catch up. I call the customer service line to find out if the warranty on my dishwasher covers the problem I'm having. I call to get something, not to engage in some kind of give and take. If you have a small relationship with someone, a coworker, or an acquaintance, maybe you would talk about the weather. And if you have a deep, heart-level relationship with someone, you'll engage far beyond the weather. The weather's an easy thing to talk about. It's 25 below or whatever. If you have a deep heart-level relationship, you're going to engage far more than just the weather. Tuesday night, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine from college, and his wife, who's also become a very good friend, they just moved to California, so obviously we talked about the weather. But they're good friends, so um, we, we spent some time talking with them and just thinking through our struggles in their respective contexts and encouraging one another in those struggles. And there's really not a whole lot of need for us to shoot the breeze because we've shot the breeze a million times before. It's just time to get down to brass tacks and to talk about our connection. It's far deeper than just the weather. And the point of all of that is to say that, friends, if you don't know God through his word, your prayer life is going to be the equivalent of talking to God about the weather. Whatever that looks like. Bless so-and-so or give me such-and-such or help me with this or that. Now, those things aren't bad. Don't get me wrong. Those things are not bad. It's not bad to pray for those things. But we never mature anything beyond that kind of praying. We're not seeking to know God through his word, plain and simple. And Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater here. Something very important for us to note when we get to verse 9. Or which one of you, his son, asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a certain serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good good things to those who ask? Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask? Your Father. Consider the necessity of the relationship with your Father. It is not your innate human right to be called a child of God. 
It is not your innate human right to be called a child of God. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the, the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The mentality that we have as God's, that if, if we think that we are all God's children, the mentality that the world gives us that all every person is God's child is complete garbage. You and only you are given the right to become a child of God because you were born of God and received and believed in the name of Jesus. If that process hasn't taken place, you're not God's child, you're his enemy. You must recognize the lengths to which your father has gone to have a relationship with you. There is no greater price that has ever been paid. He crushed his son to restore you. We treat him like a vending machine. We treat his command to come to him like, and ask and seek and knock like a soft suggestion. And we read it like this. We say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. I mean, if you can fit that into your busy schedule. That's how we read it. God doesn't say, I know I decimated my son to bring you back to me and have promised you an eternity free from all the struggles of your present situation and to uphold you by the power of my right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. But just when you get around to it, ask and seek and knock. He doesn't say that. The kingdom citizen has no excuses. The kingdom citizen has, has no excuses. Your busyness is your God if you use it as an excuse to neglect to pray. Your family is your God if you, if you use it as an excuse to neglect the local church. Your career is your God if you use it as an excuse to keep you from knowing God through his word. The kingdom, of, the kingdom citizen has no excuses. If God is our father, then those things do not come between us in prayer and our faith family and knowing God through his word. Why? Because God is our Father, and He has given us direct access to Him, and we can know Him more intimately than we even know our earthly Father. Because God has given us the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and who is actively working on us to grow us in our understanding and knowledge of Him. A couple guys and I were reading Colossians, and we're in chapter 1, and Paul prays for that, for that local church, and he says this in verses 9 and 10, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, Paul prays that the church in Colossae, for those people who were involved there, would know God. And so we have to take a text like this and take it head on. Tomorrow's the first day of 2018, so maybe you're a resolution person, maybe you're not, doesn't matter. We get a fresh start tomorrow, that's how we view it, that's how our culture thinks about it. I made my 2018 reading list this week, super excited. I thought about things I wanted to do with my family in 2018. Let me give you the biggest challenge that we as a body in 2018 will face. Buffalo City Church, we will face this challenge more than anything else in 2018 guaranteed. A lack of prioritization of our spiritual health. 
This is what the church is suffering from right now in Jamestown, North Dakota, across the state of North Dakota, across our country, and across the world. A lack of prioritization of spiritual health. Extended periods of time outside of God's word. Extended periods of time away from the local church. Extended periods of time of prayerlessness. A backseat to our physical, mental, and emotional health. We spend hundreds of thousands, millions upon billions of dollars in this country and across the world on our physical, emotional, and spiritual health, and we rarely drop a dime on our spiritual health. And what's the remedy? What is the remedy for that? For the lack of prioritization of our spiritual health, the remedy is to know God. The remedy is to know God, increase in the knowledge of God, like Paul prays for the church in Colossae, to increase in the knowledge of God. Don't stop, ask, seek, knock. Our culture sees church and being a Christian as doing something, and I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to say that many of us, even in this room, see Christianity as doing something. But stop and think with me. If you add read Bible to your task list, if you add pray to your task list, if you add go to church to your calendar, you will 100% think of those things as negotiable activities that will frequently get cut out of your day or your week. But you don't read your Bible because it's an activity. You read your Bible because it means you knowing your dad. Your dad wept bitterly when sin enslaved you. When you made a choice after choice after choice that was contrary to the way that he designed you. And he said, I'm going to get glory through you by crushing my son, Jesus. Isaiah 53.10 says, and yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God crushed Jesus, your, his son. Not so that you could do something, but that so you could be something. And that your doing would flow out of your being. If you're a child of God, nothing else defines you. Nothing else defines you. As a child of God, you can know your father. We don't read our Bible because it's an activity. We do it because it means knowing our dad. We don't pray because it's an activity, but we pray because God is changing our heart to love all he is for us. You ask and you seek and you knock like Jesus demands of his followers because God gives and is found and he opens. You pray because it sinks your heart to God. You, you, you begin to see him as good and all the good that he intends for you. There is no greater good in all of the universe than to receive more of God and to find more of God and to unlock more of God. And are we promised that as his children? It's not just, a, again, it's not a suggestion or maybe a conditional statement, but we're promised more of him. And we don't go to church because it's an activity or a calendar item. We go to church because God uses it to form us, to become more like him by being around people who share an identity that is far greater than a Vikings fan or a farmer or a grocery store clerk or a husband or a wife or a parent. There is no category in the Bible for a Christian that is not involved in the life of the local church. Why? Because the Bible demands that you find your identity in Christ first. And this is the space where we find our identity because we find it in Jesus first. 
That's what it means to prioritize your spiritual health. Find who you are in Jesus first. We don't let past actions, past activities, the victimization of abuse define us. Those things are important in shaping you, but God is using those to bring you to a deeper understanding of who he is and of what he is calling you to. When you let others, other things get in the way of worshiping together as the body of Christ, what you're doing is effectively saying what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about and telling you not to do is to, is to define who you are by what you do. But who you are is not defined by what you do. Who you are defines what you do. When you say, who I am is defined by what I do, you're effectively going against what Scripture teaches us. You will not pray. You will not spend time in God's Word. You will not spend time together with the local church because you will see those things as activities and not an outflow of your identity in Jesus Christ. And so we as a body in 2018, if we're, going to, if we're going to move beyond the lack of prioritization of our spiritual health, if we're going to move beyond that, something that we have to do is together, collectively say who we are defines what we do and not the other way around. Who we are must define what we do and not the other way around. As a child of God, do not leave your brothers and sisters for extended periods of time. Faithfully and joyfully engage here. So everyone here, conclusion, in conclusion. We're short on time. Take the opportunity tomorrow, New Year's Day, first day of 2018, take the opportunity to do this, to sit down and to begin to pray with regularity. Again, if you add this to your list, if you add this to your to-do list, it's never going to happen. You're going to get through week one or week two or week three, and then you're gonna, it's going to drop off. I mean, maybe you'll make it through the whole year in your own strength. However, if you consider the amazing gift that asking and seeking and knocking is, and if you consider that your heavenly Father knows how to give you good gifts and that he is always working for your good, you will continue to pray because it will be part of your identity. It will not be a task. And tomorrow, the first day of 2018, spend time in God's word. Find maybe a Bible reading plan or something of the sort. If you need help with that, I'd love to help you. Consider the incredible truth that God has made a way for you to have relationship with him through the immense cost of the sacrifice of his son. And consider that God has given you the ability to know him right here in his word. Are you kidding me? Are you, the God of the universe has given you a book to know him, your creator, the one who created you and who given you all things in Christ has given you ability to know who he is. How could you put it down? How could you leave it on the shelf and let it collect dust? You must be crazy. <laughs> or maybe we just don't believe what it claims to be. Open it up and know God. Know God. It's literally what you were created for. You were literally created to know God and to bring him glory. Men, let's lead out in this. Let's lead our families into this. This is a big challenge for men. 
not only culturally, but just because of who we are. We oftentimes relegate our responsibility to lead spiritually in our home to our wives. Allow them to set up the, the things that, that move our family in a spiritual direction. We need, to, we need to make a change here. Who cares if you make enough money to put your kids through college if they rarely, if ever, hear the gospel in your home? You just made education your God and your children's God. Education makes, it's a good thing, but it makes really bad God. And it won't save their souls from the wrath of God. And who cares if you go on a vacation if it comes at the expense of relationship with God? Stop focusing on worldly gifts or empty idols. You were given children to steward men. Let's steward our children. Let's steward our families. Let's disciple our wives. Let's encourage them. Let's not just punch out so we can watch a football game. Your responsibility is so much more than providing physical things for your family. And if you have no idea what that means, come talk to me. It's going to take a great deal of humility. Let's talk about it. Because I'm right in the same spot with you. I'm susceptible to the exact same things that you are. Standing aside idly while our wives direct our homes. So the call is to spend time in God's word. It is an incredible gift. And then together, I would, I would suggest to you, I would say to you, in order to be living into our identity in Jesus, take a look at the calendar in 2017 with your spouse. Determine how you can be more present in the life of this body, in corporate worship, in the community of faith. And consider the fact that the people here are your brothers and sisters, and they, they need you, and you need them. And that's not a popular thing, probably, to say in North Dakota, maybe across the United States, maybe across the globe. It's not a popular thing to say that I'm dependent on another person. I don't want anyone. I don't need anything. I can do it. If I want something done right, I'll do it myself. I'll pull myself up by the bootstraps. You cannot say that you're dependent on God if you've never made yourself dependent on another person. And you cannot care for and love people if you're rarely around them or that you abandon when something else comes up that seems like more fun or a better option. Kingdom citizen has no excuses. Why does the kingdom, the kingdom citizen have no excuses? Because of who we are. Because of who we are. We're children of God. We're bought with a great price. We're made whole in Christ. We're favored by God. With incredible inheritance waiting for us because of Christ's work on our behalf. And all of this is because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. So we preach the gospel to ourselves and to those who are around us. We say, Jesus came to die so that we might live. Jesus came to die to make us a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We need to reflect on that truth. Christianity is not about doing something. Christianity is about being something. Let's pray.